0: Thank you for coming, braving the weather. It's awesome to see you. Um, you know, I think that this is the right crowd for this message, because uh, I want to talk a little bit about being adventuresome. You know, a lot of times I'm sharing uh, some of the adventuresome stories in my life, and people come to me, and they, they kind of sound a little bit jealous, and they kind of say, how come you do so many fun things all the time? Like, how do you find the time? How do you... And, What I always say, because the answer is always the same, is I just take the opportunities that present themselves to me. And what I notice is a lot of people just don't take the opportunities. They're presented with opportunities, my sons included. You know, I often say, come on, let's go do this, let's do that. Oh no, I don't feel like I'm going to play it on the computer. And this is the way it is. And people often are busy doing sort of mundane things, and they don't get out and do the fun things, you know, so I mean, just a few weeks ago, my wife and I went to Cuba, and um, I was looking for something to do, after five days, it was windy, and so I, I kept looking for where are the sail, why aren't the sailboats out there, it's a beautiful windy day, and finally, I found the people in charge of the sailboats, and they said, oh, we don't let the boats out unless it's, the wind's lower than 30 kilometers an hour, and I'm like, that's 16 knots. That's nothing. How can you go fast? You know, so I was getting a little bored. So I was walking down the beach and and I heard this lady about 10 yards in front of me going, uh, "Skydiving? Skydiving? Anyone?" And I'm like, "That sounds like fun." <laughs> so I went over. How much is it? Talk to my wife. She says, well, that's your Christmas present. So <laughs> off I went and enjoyed, did something new, you know, and jumped out of a perfectly good airplane. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but, you know, we often have this expression, take life by the horns. And what this means is basically, instead of running away from the bull, just go right up there and grab it and hang on for dear life. I, I love this picture. I'd love to do that, actually. Uh, my wife would probably say, are you nuts? But it really actually looks like a fair bit of fun. Um, and, and, you know, not not letting the fact that the bull is quite a bit bigger than you get in the way, because a lot of times they are. I remember uh, driving around a corner with my dune buggy one day, going full tilt, and uh, there right in the middle of the road sat this bull. He was about 3,000 pounds, and I figured if I hit this thing, I'm dead, you know, <laughs> And I swerve around it, just put the whole doom buggy going sideways into the bushes and drive by him. He did not move. (laughs) He didn't even blink. Nothing. This bull is just standing there. Just, "Mm, what's with you? Bulls are big. Take the bull by the horns. Take life by the horns. And sometimes we have to recognize that things that are bigger than us, badder than us, need our attention. And we need to just do it, grab it, and go for it. And, uh, so I want to share a little story about my friend, uh, Brian Bueller. He, he's, he was a uh, pastor in North Shore Alliance Church. He and his wife were down, uh, in the, in the marina in, uh, in Vancouver there. And they were, had just been sailing on a, a friend's boat and they, uh, they were, they got talking with, uh, another couple that had a boat there. And, uh, after a few minutes, that couple said, Hey, we're going to have a party tonight. You want to come over? And so few hours later, they went over and started chatting on the boat, and a few of their friends were there, and they ended up being sort of the last ones to leave, and near the end of the evening, the fellow asked, well, what, what do you do for a living? And he said, oh, I'm a minister. Uh, uh, I, 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 uh, I'm a pastor at a church, and the guy didn't seem, you know, concerned about that at all, and they kept on having the conversation because sometimes people go like, oh, <laughs> shut down, But then, just as he was leaving, he he said to Brian, he said, "Uh, by the way, you know, I've always wanted to ask a Christian this. How how does one actually become a Christian? (laughs) That's a dangerous question to ask the pastor, eh? But what about you? What if someone asked you that question? Would you be able to grab the bull by the horns at that moment And share the gospel effectively and powerfully in the Spirit at that moment so that that person would have a living testimony right in front of them sharing the gospel. You know, a few weeks back, I I shared with you that, you know, I love jumping on airplanes and doing all that crazy stuff. But you know what? One of the greatest thrills in my life is is praying with someone to receive Christ into their heart. I love that. (laughs) I come home sometimes and... uh, Prayed with another person, um, you know, and and, and uh, I try not to show too much excitement, but inside I'm just like, wow, that was so awesome. Because it is awesome. And it means that you're taking someone who is on their way to a, a eternal damnation, and you're allowing them to see the light that God has provided a way for them to go to glory. And God has pr- provided and paid for and sealed it in his son's blood And people can accept that gift and change their life. It's awesome. It's the greatest thing. And you know what? The Bible says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you possess. Are you prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have, for the joy that you have, for the life that you have in Christ? Are you able and prepared to give that to people? Or just leaving evangelism to, you know, the professionals. Oh, Pastor Bill, he's good at that. Let oh, him do that. You know what? I am not an evangelist. <laughs> I, I, I remember trying to be an evangelist as a teenager and failing miserably. I went out, you know, door to door, knocking on people's doors, scared spitless, stammering through some terrible presentation of the gospel. Over and over and over, I did it and I did it. And I, Why did I do it? Because I, I knew the principles of the Bible. And I like to take life by the horns. And so I just kept at it. It was like, this has got to... And you know what? Uh, I think it was four years of frustration going to various classes to learn how to share the gospel. But it was about four years. I was, I think I was 22 when finally... Someone actually listened, and actually, I didn't pray pray with them or anything, but they came to church, (laughs) and after about two months, they became a believer. I was so excited. It was sort of like my first, whoa, this actually works kind of experience. God desires that his church grow, and the only way that we can become experts at Sharing our faith with other people is by keep doing it over and over and over. Keep learning how to do it better. Keep asking the Spirit to empower you and keep at it. And one day, someone asked me, you know the question that this first convert asked me? He said, you don't really like believe all that stuff in the Bible. Like, you know, like the, the Red Sea parting and all that junk. That was his first question. And my answer was, yeah, I do. I left it at that for the first day, <laughs> but eventually we got going on a conversation on that subject. You know, the Bible says, Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service service in the kingdom of God. God has called you into his kingdom, not just so that you could enjoy salvation and his kingdom forever and ever in heaven. No, God has called you into the kingdom so that you might do the good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. That's what the Bible says, that his love, he, yes, he loves us, and he's reached out to us, and he's given us salvation, but he's done that for a purpose, a, a number of purposes, one of which, of course, is fellowship with himself, but another purpose is for us to be doing the good works that he's called us to do. And evangelism is one of the great things that Jesus said uh, for us to do. One of the last things he said is, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Jesus is saying, make disciples, teach them, baptize them, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be doing the work through you and in you, for you, with you. It's going to be awesome. But you know what? One of the things that that Billy Graham said, actually, he said this. We need to go back to the Bible and ask one critical question. What was Christ's strategy for evangelism? Surely Jesus had a strategy of winning the lost. And what was his plan? How did he do it? You know, he came as a little baby, and we just celebrated that. But one of the things that, I mean, you know, go tell it on the mountains. that The angels talked about it. And we are called to tell and proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. And, and uh, that's, but how did he do it? You know, it's interesting to figure out how Jesus did personal evangelism. And we can study a couple examples. Uh, One of the examples is is the way he talked to Nicodemus. And he talked about, you know, uh, where the wind blows. And he talked about the spirit and being born again. And Nicodemus was all confused. And, uh, And Christ ended that, or right in the middle of that, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life and we can learn from that and of course then there's the john 4 uh, the woman at the well and jesus was doing personal evangelism with the woman at the well in both cases jesus uh used surprise and intrigue to draw the person in one intrigue about being born again the other about living water and he used intrigue to draw the person in and then he shared the gospel with them and so Those are important things, but that's not what we want to talk about this morning. In fact, for the next few weeks, uh, well, not next week, but the weeks after, we want to talk about how Jesus set the strategy, his entire plan for the way he was going to do evangelism to the ends of the earth. His plan was to take evangelism to the ends of the earth. And so he had a strategy for that, and we're going to talk about that today. We're going to look at a few of the things. And you might be surprised what I'm going to share because it's not going to sound exactly like evangelism that you might have heard or might be considering. Um, You know, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so this is the the process that God has ordained for his church to be doing the very same thing. God is in us the same way, well, not quite the same way as he was in, in Christ, but in a similar way. His spirit is in us to reconcile the world to himself. And that's his plan. So how do we go about this plan of reaching the ends of the earth with the gospel? It needs to in- include some people who are transformed by the power of the gospel so that their lives become consistent, contagious, and compelling evangelism machines. That's, that's really what God called us to be. Consistent. Compelling. Compelling. And contagious. We need to rescue the concept of evangelism from this sort of special place. Oh, well, oh yeah, I was out evangelizing this week. No, it needs to be something that we're doing all the time. It's not easy. I'm an introvert, naturally. And I find it very difficult to broach that subject with other people. And yet, God has allowed me to share Christ with hundreds of people and watch them pray to receive Christ. It is such a a blessing, but we have to take life by the horns, as it were, and say, Lord, I'm your servant, I'm willing to do this even though I'm an introvert, even though I'm awkward around people, I don't strike up conversations with strangers, I don't do that, even then we need to be able to share the gospel. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, and this is really my first point. The way to do evangelism is Jesus. <laughs> it's not just through Jesus, but he also is our, our mentor. He's the one who showed us how to do it. And so we're going to just talk about how we do that. Um, you know, he, he's not only describing the means of salvation, but also the, me- also the method of salvation. We need to ask ourselves, is our evangelism Effective. Is my personal evangelism methods effective? Are people actually being saved by my testimony? Or am I doing something wrong? And not only that, is the gospel advancing through my testimony and through my experience of sharing with other people how to do it effectively? Are we fulfilling the great commission of Christ? Is the world, are people from all over the world being uh, baptized and made into disciples and taught the things that Christ taught us. So again, I'm just going to mention that we're studying the principles underlying Christ's ministry, his strategy of evangelism, around which his life was oriented. Um, You know, Jesus had this strategy, and and it's really the reason the Gospels are written was so that we could, Look into Christ's strategy. Look into God's means of salvation. In Luke 1, um, Luke says, Many have taken, undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. Luke is basically saying, look... We are, we are writing these things so that you can know what happened and how Christianity got blasted out of a cannon and changed the world. How did that happen? And we can continue to do it the exact same way. John 1 verse 1 says pretty much the same thing. He talks about what our hands have touched and, and how uh, they have uh, seen and heard and witnessed, were witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gospels were written to show us Jesus Christ. Um, The Gospels are intended to teach us not only about the Master, but the way of the Master. What he did. How he did it. Um, Have you ever considered that the Gospels are a textbook on evangelism? In fact, they're the only inerrant textbook on evangelism we have. It's the only one. And let's use it therefore as such. A textbook on how to do evangelism. How to be effective in reaching the world for Jesus Christ. Christ is our perfect example. Uh, you remember, Christ's objectives were clear. Remember Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of a, a giant statue with gold and silver and, and uh, legs of clay and iron and Various things. And then what happened to it? There was a rock cut out from the mountain that rolled down the mountain and smashed the image to pieces. This was Christ's objective. He knew that he was the start of that rock rolling down. That his kingdom would grow and grow and become a huge mountain that filled the whole earth is how the story ends. And so Jesus knew that his mission was not to win as many people as possible. His mission was to create an empire over the entire world, <laughs> it's quite a bit bigger than winning as many possible many people as possible to Christ. And so his strategy was not to win as many po- people as possible, which is kind of odd. We kind of go like, "Well, how are you going to reach the world if you don't win as many people as possible?" Wasn't his plan? Wasn't his strategy? And we're going to get into that. His life was ordered by his objective. His whole plan of evangelism was ordered by his objective of reaching the entire world that's a big cause and before television and and radio and all that pretty hard to do when you're a solitary figure living in the land of Palestine I mean it's just impossible but he was motivated to do it and he of course he took the major step of dying on the cross that was necessary for the whole thing to to take off um But Jesus didn't lose sight of his goal, not for one moment. His whole earthly ministry led up to the cross, but it also led up to the planning for the next stage after the cross, which was the explosion of Christianity across the world. There was nothing haphazard about his life. No wasted energy, no idle words. He was on business for God, and he was going to make it happen. Sort of like a general plotting his course. I can imagine Jesus just figuring it all out. Okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get to the ends of the earth? I'm not even going to walk out of this country too often. Once maybe up to Syria. That was it. What was his plan? And that's what we're going to look at today. Now his plan was a bit unassuming and quiet. You you don't see it. It doesn't jump out at you when you read through the, the Gospels. Doesn't just go bam. Oh, here's the plan. He lays it out: seven step plan of Jesus Christ to reach the the world for Him. You know, it's not like that. But when you read through the New Testament, you can see it very clearly. And uh, but you know what? What I find is that Christ's plan seems to differ from many of our churches today, and I would dare say even from this church, Eastgate Alliance Church. I hope to change that in the future, but we'll see what happens. This is why I'm sharing this with you today is so that we can start to understand some of the concepts of the way Jesus did things so that we can apply them and do them ourselves more effectively. Um, I'm not sure. I I have eight points to give you. I I doubt if we'll get through more than two today, but we'll see what happens. I got many, many pages here, but um, we'll probably only get through two today. And so the first one I want to share with you. The first principle of Christ's method for evangelism was that he used people. People were his method. And the first thing that we're, we find out about his method is that he chose 12 disciples. He didn't just choose people as the masses. He chose 12 specifically to do the task. And they were kind of his favorite. He didn't use programs to reach the masses he didn't have Sunday school to reach the kids no his focus was primarily on 12 guys now he did reach the masses but what he was doing was he was actually he wasn't necessarily trying to reach the masses when you see him do his work of reaching the masses he's constantly saying oh don't tell anybody or he's he's constantly saying you know giving making it so difficult for them that they they can't even get it and they're like oh man you're you're speaking in circles around us, but to the disciples, he's always giving firsthand knowledge, pumping into their life what to do. And they're watching them the whole time. <clears throat> and so people were Christ's methods. And Christ's early methods of, of uh, reaching of winning the lost were quite simple. At first, he wasn't preaching a lot or teaching a lot. He was just going a lot, walking along the shore and asking some uh, fishermen, hey, you guys want to come and join me? This is his method. And they did. You know, the interesting thing about Jesus' method is that it it was not a really uh, super um, effective. Like there weren't thousands and thousands of people coming to believe in Christ. Thousands were following him at first and listening to him, but they weren't fully adapting it was only a dozen men really effectively you know what it's because it's much harder to do it christ's way it's much more fun to stand up in front of a big crowd and and you know i I was at a billy graham crusade here in town years back and watched him preach and you know there's thousands of people and all, you know, and then he gives the altar call, and all these people are flowing down to the front, and hundreds, thousands of people actually responding to the altar call. Wow, what, a, what a, what an awesome thing! Um, that's exciting. But what we discover is that very few of those people actually end up in church. Some of them do, absolutely, and praise the Lord for men like Billy Graham who, who led that kind of ministry. But you know what? Uh, there it 's a lot slower to do what Jesus did, and what Jesus did was he was dis, he was training evangelists he was training the evangelists, and of course, Billy Graham Association is now also doing that very thing, trying to train evangelists because they know that that is where the keys is. that is christ 's method to train evangelists. you know the early converts these guys. They were the ones who would eventually become the apostles. They would become church leaders. Um, And the interesting thing is when you look at these guys, (laughs) they don't really strike you as world changers. You know, these guys are fishermen, tax collectors, one doctor in the group. But most of them, you know, pretty average guys, not too much to write home about, you know, like, oh, Jesus just got this amazing new disciple. He's so learned, he knows five languages, he's studied the scriptures so well, and he's very learned, He's he's a scribe, no, none of that. What distinguished these men? Actually, what we do know about these men is that they were easily angered, they had tempers, they were kind of temperamental, easily offended, they were always jockeying for position, yeah, don't really come across as like, you know, the keeners. The guys who are gonna change you know, you have remember in high school, there were some people you're just like, Well, these people are gonna change the world. And what you find out later on in life, it wasn't those people at all. It was other people who were committed. It's interesting in Acts chapter four when when uh, the apostles are defending themselves before the Sanhedrin, this is what they said about him. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. But look what it says next. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see the key issue here is being with Jesus. When we are with Jesus, it changes us. And we become extraordinary people instead of ordinary people, unschooled people. You don't have to have a college degree to be a champion for the kingdom of God. You can be an average Joe like these fishermen and be a champion, a world changer for Christ. The interesting thing is that these guys were honest men. They wanted to do what was right. They were looking for the Messiah, and they had the right heart, and that's the attitude that changed them, and the fact that they were teachable. Jesus Christ could take these guys and mold them. You know, I remember when Kendall was working for a sodding company, and uh, he, I remember they, they brought a new guy on who had like eight years' experience sodding, and Kendall said, it's the most terrible thing. This guy won't do anything I tell him to do. He thinks he knows better all the time, and he's not doing it the way we have been taught to do it. And he wants to do it his own way, but that way he doesn't connect with this way. And he got so frustrated. He said, I'd rather take some 18-year-old guy that doesn't know anything about sodding and train them the way we do it, and it works way better. And I totally get it. When we work with people who have sort of this own stubborn way and they can't be taught, it's tough. It's tough. But you work with the people who are teachable and ready to, to learn, man, it's just so much easier. Uh, in, t- in Paul said the same thing to, uh, he was teaching uh, one of his disciples, Timothy. And he said, uh, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. That's that whole teachable nature, that they're actually reliable to teach other people and carry on this thing. And so we need to look for teachable people to bring under our wing like Jesus did. That was his method of evangelism. It wasn't actually to go out and evangelize to the masses. It was actually to get some people around him and then go out and evangelize to the masses and take those people along with him on the route and show them how this is how we do it. This is how it's done. <clears throat> and here's the wisdom in his method. He concentrated on a few people to transform them. And then he sent them off to transform the world. He, was, he molded them in his hands. And the interesting thing is it's necessary to keep the group small enough so they actually have a lasting impact. You can't, you know, you know I'm, I'm a teacher of 300 people. Well, I don't have a lot of impact in everyone's life in this room. I have a small impact, but I pray that there would be people who would have big impacts, that there would be connections with people. And I find it very difficult to, I actually find it much easier to do what I'm doing right now than to actually sit down with a few key people and really pour into their life. It's difficult it's hard work but it is the way of the master it's the way he designed to do it and he calls us to do it the same and so jesus went out and he chose 12 disciples Uh, he did it after a night of prayer Um, this doesn't mean that jesus decision to have 12 apostles excluded other people from following him Certainly, there was the other 70 people who were very instrumental. We, we uh, read of, of Mark and James, the Lord's brother, notable examples of others who were following and very heavily involved. So it's not like you need to just take. okay, well, I'm just going to take three or four people, pour my life into them, and exclude everyone else. No, that's monasticism, and it doesn't work. The gospel is living and alive and needs to be out there in the real world and that's where you take the people with you and you bring them along to show them how to do the evangelism. Interesting thing was that even though there was just 12 of them, Jesus also had Peter, James, and John as sort of the inner circle that he worked privately with and carefully with. And the interesting thing is that um, you know they, they often had discussions about who was the greatest but you never once hear in any of the gospels of people saying hey how come you're so friendly with John and Peter and and James like what's what why are they raised above us they they never say that jesus must have done it effectively so that the, they didn't feel like he was putting more into those guys life than the others <clears throat> jesus proportioned his life effectively. He did give his time to the masses. He did give his time to the the 70. But he gave even more time to the disciples and even more time to the three. And you can see this as as his ministry progresses. Halfway through, he actually chooses the 12 apostles. And then towards the end, he's spending more and more time. In fact, the last month of his time takes up more than half of the Gospels. And it's all about talking with the disciples. And in fact, if you look in John, you got like a huge chunk of the book of John just dedicated to the last week. Jesus is just jamming more and more into the apostles. That's all he cares about. He's just focused on those apostles. Even though the crowds are clamoring for his attention, he is focused on those disciples. And you know, the interesting thing about this is when you look at Jesus' ministry, when he's ministering to the crowds, you honestly get the feeling he really doesn't care if they accept his message or reject his message. He's, he doesn't give you the impression of, come on, everybody, you gotta accept me, you gotta believe me. It's more like, hey, if you want to, come and believe me. But then, you know, deny yourself, hate your family, and then follow me. <laughs> and he, you know people are like, what? And then there's this one passage in, in, uh, in John, John chapter 6. And Jesus says, oh, oh, you know, I'm flesh and I'm blood and you have to eat it. And people are like, that's a really weird teaching. This is kind of offensive, eating your flesh and blood. What are you talking about? And instead of Jesus explaining that he's talking figuratively or spiritually, he just lets it go. And it says that many stopped following him as his disciples after that. In in verse 61, it says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They said, what? This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? I mean, they're just like. And Jesus doesn't bat an eye. (laughs) In fact, he turns to his disciples. Oh, are you guys going to leave too? You know? And I'm like, what kind of teaching is this? And luckily, the disciples go, "No, you have the words of life. We want to follow you. Who, where else would we go?" And I'm thinking, Jesus is probably going, "Yes, <laughs> they're getting it. You know, <laughs> I, that's what I think." When you know, in have you have you ever looked carefully at Jesus' prayer in John 17? He says this. He he prayed. Not for the world, but for the few God gave him out of the world. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. What do you mean, Jesus? You're not praying for the world. He's saying, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those you've given me, for they are yours. Jesus is very little concerned about nominal Christians following him. He doesn't care about the numbers. He has no concern for that. What he cares about is can I get some good men to stand up for me? Men who will go to their deaths proclaiming me. Can I get some people who will take up their cross and follow me, deny themselves, deny their families, deny everything else and follow me? Those are the people, that's all I care about. I don't care about anything else. And you know what? That that behooves us to take that as an example. Who are you going to pour your life into? Find some people that are so passionate about Christ, and then pour your life into them. <clears throat> jesus didn 't neglect the masses, but he kind of used them as a training ground for his twelve and I think that was his main purpose actually of teaching the masses, although I believe he did love them. He wept over them over the crowds he looked at the crowds like sheep without a shepherd. And he felt compassion for them. And he said, "Lord, you know, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into the harvest field. You see what he's saying? Send out workers. That was his emphasis all the time. He just wanted the workers to get out there. He was more concerned about the, he was, yes, definitely concerned about the people. But his strategy was to make workers and send them out. That's what he was all about. <clears throat> <clears throat> So it's not surprising by the end of Christ's life uh, that there was probably only about 500 of these kind of people. Now, in terms of evangelism, there have been down through the ages, there have been people who've had thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to know the Lord. But I doubt any have been as effective as Christ. Because Christ chose to just train 12 guys and send them out powerfully. Um, it's interesting also to note that after Christ's resurrection he didn't appear to the masses maybe this 500 that he appeared to were all believers but he didn't appear to the masses we have no record of him appearing to people who didn't already believe and and follow him and trust him those are the ones he appeared to because they were his strategy it was actually his strategy for mass evangelism Was to work with a few people. So, what about today? How are we going to apply this? We can all quit our jobs and become itinerant preachers and go from place to place and grab a few people and drag them around with us? You know what? I actually don't have a plan. I don't know how to address this. I wanted to give you the principle first. And then maybe God will show me the how-to, the nuts and bolts later on. I hope so. But we need to buy into the principle first. This is the way. And I don't know how to do it exactly. We're we're starting a program uh, to to sharpen those who are called. And uh, it's basically going to be a, a Saturday training night starting in about three weeks. I think it, we're, we're just barely touching the surface of what we need to do. With this program, but every uh, every month, one Saturday, we're going to dedicate to just gathering a group of people and studying how we can be more effective in ministry and trying to example Christ. But I I think we're just scratching the surface even with that. But Jesus poured into the ones who had popped, and they had been excited. And so it is. We need to do the same. We need to put a lot of energy into those who are really fascinated and passionate about the gospel. Those are the ones that we want to put our energy into and send them out. And uh, you might say, well, what about the little guy? Well, we're not going to forget about the little guy. Jesus ministered to the, the least of these, his brothers, too. And the disciples came along, and they watched when he ministered to people who were, who were demon-possessed and sick and, and children and all of those people. Jesus did minister to all of them, but his primary focus was on the disciples. So the next thing, so I want to just summarize what I've just shared with you, and it's a big decision in ministry. We must decide whether we want our ministry to count in a momentary applause of popular recognition or in reproduction of our lives in a chosen few people, which will probably not get a great deal of applause, which will probably not get a great deal of recognition, but there will be change coming and maybe not in your lifetime maybe in another generation's lifetime we don't know which generation are you living for this one or the next one i'm living for the next one you know it's interesting <clears throat> uh the the interesting thing is about what the way jesus operated was the how he did it the how he poured into these 12 guys it's very powerful i think uh this sums it up matthew 28 verse 20 behold i am with you always this was his plan right with the disciples he wanted them to be with him and he didn't have this big big classroom setting all the time okay students gather around we're going to teach you now no He would just go around healing people and walking down the street and preaching to people and teaching people, but not so much the the disciples. He was teaching other people, and they were just coming along for the ride. They were just following him. Uh, You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian, really believed this. He wrote, wrote this thing called Life Together. He talked about disciples being together, living together for the kingdom's sake, and it's powerful. And I don't think we're going to turn this place into a commune. But it would be effective. (laughs) And it is the way Jesus did it. And so we need to start thinking, how can we move in that direction? And what are we going to do about that? Essentially, his Christ training program was himself, just being with the disciples. Um, Knowledge was gained through association before it was understood by expo, ex, explanation. This is what Jesus said. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God are to be given to you, but to others I speak in parables. And it's very interesting when you see what, the way Jesus describes the calling of the disciples. It wasn't, hey, guys, come and learn. Remember, what was it? Come and see. Come and see. Just watch. And then uh, to Philip, he said the basic thing. He said, follow me. Just, just follow me. Just, just walk behind me. <laughs> and you'll learn. He didn't actually say, you'll learn. He just said, follow me. That's it. Um, Philip invited Nathaniel and said the same thing. Come and see. And uh, later, James and John and Peter and Andrew were found mending their, their nets. And Jesus said the same familiar words. Come, follow me. And then he added a little bit to this. He said, and I will make you fishers of men interesting all they had to do was follow him and they would become fishers of men It was just going to rub off on them it wasn't any formal schooling it was just being in his presence uh matthew was called from the tax collector's booth received the same invitation follow me you know a living sermon is worth a thousand explanations You know, when I studied uh, Evangelism Explosion, remember I told you that when I was a teenager, I took many evangelism classes, one after the other, did them all. But it wasn't until I was enrolled in Evangelism Explosion that it really clicked in my head. And you know why? Because someone took me, we went out in the street, and we actually shared Christ with somebody. And they actually prayed to receive Christ right in front of my eyes. And I was like, it actually works. How did that happen? And then I wanted to do it again. And the next week, someone in a different group prayed to receive Christ. And the next week, someone else did. And the next week, someone else did. And then again, it happened in my group. And this kept happening over and over and over. And by the end of the 13 weeks, I was like the one sharing the gospel, and people were praying to receive Christ. And I was like, this is wild. I didn't know this was possible, but it happened because I saw it. I was trained. I was. I went to Bible college for years, eight years in Bible college. I went to every evangelism seminar. I took evangelism in Bible college over and over and over, but it wasn't until someone actually showed me how to do it. <laughs> oh, this is easy. <laughs> and it was. And this is how it works. God is desiring that we rise up people, raise up people who will, Not just share their faith, but they will teach other people how to share their faith. In fact, Evangelism Explosion says that our goal is not to win people to Christ. It's not their goal. Our goal is to train people to win people to Christ. It's a big difference, and it's way more effective, way more powerful, training people to receive Christ. Maybe we'll start EE up again. I don't know. We'll see. Um interesting the way what jesus said about choosing the 12 it's in mark chapter 3 verse 14 he said he chose them so that they would be with him what an awesome thing that was that's all it was about just being with jesus so the final thing i want to mention is that it takes time this is not a fast process. It's not you just go out once or you teach a class and then everybody in the class knows how to share their faith. This is taking a few people along with you, sharing your faith with other people. It's taking people along for the ride, showing them how you do it. Uh, and it's, it's effective. It's powerful. Um, remember Jesus, what happened? Jesus was praying one time and the disciples come along and say, Hey, Lord, teach us to pray. First they watched him, then they were taught. And that's how we need to do it. Focus on the few. The last thing I want to say. Yeah, that's probably the last thing I want to say. There's so much to say. Last thing I want to say is um, I'm a father. And I have three boys. And what I've noticed about raising these boys is that the most important thing for me to do is to be around. <laughs> That's it. I just got to show up at supper time and eat with them and talk with them and have the discussion around the table. Uh, there's not, I don't have some big training program that I do with my kids. We don't, you know, like, like oh, I'm going to teach you how to evangelize. Oh, I'm going to teach you how to read the Bible. I'm going to teach you how to do this and teach you how to do that. Don't have a lot of that. It's mostly just being there conversing with my wife, conversing with other people. I remember one time I was out in the parking lot and this guy came over and he was yelling and screaming and hollering at me and just like, like you know, accusing me of all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and I responded to him in a very calm, gentle manner and, and apologized and said, I'll, t- I'll do my best, but, you know, and explain some things. And, and afterwards, my boys said to me, they said like, Wow, I've never seen that before. That was really cool. Well, the only thing was that they were beside me. They I didn't go teach I didn't go and teach them how to be calm when someone's attacking you, right? I just did it in front of them. And that spoke to them, and they were like, Whoa, that was really cool. That was amazing. And I'm like, no, it's just normal, <laughs> you know, like, of course you don't yell at people back when they're yelling at you. It's a bad thing. That's the way you get punched, you know. <laughs> but uh, all it takes to be a good father is to be around. That's what it really takes. S- some fathers are out there trying to kid- teach the kids how to throw the baseball and how to be good mechanics and how to do this and how to do that. And uh, Yeah, that's good. That's, that's important. If they want it, but more than anything, they just want you to hang out, and I find half the time they want me to play computer games. That oh man, they just kill me, anyways. <laughs> and uh, and yet that's what they want, you know. Got to hang out with them, and so it is with those learning to be followers of Christ. They need you just to hang out with them and be a Christian around them, be an evangelist around them, be someone on his knees around them. I often struggle with this, you know, like it, there's this tension in my heart when, when the Bible says on the one hand, you know, pray in your closet and, and, you know, study on your own. And then my kids, you know, like I remember like waking up at 5 to go in the morning to go skiing, I remember, I've told you this before, 5 in the morning to go skiing and finding my mother on her knees in the living room going, can you believe this? Blew me away. Made me feel about this high. I never get up in the morning to pray. I mean, not then. It was humiliating and shocking and life-changing. Life-changing. And this is what people need. They need to see a real Christian right beside them. Doing real Christian things. Praying. Reading their Bible. Sharing their faith studying to show themselves approved, showing how to lead a Bible study, all those things. This is what we need. We need an army of people like that. And then this gospel will be preached to the end of the world. And then Christ will come back in all his glory. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, and we just are so thankful for the gospel And the way it frees us. And the way you've brought us into your kingdom. But Lord, we pray that you would make us transparent and visible Christians. Lord, we pray that you would give us disciples to disciple. Lord, I pray that you would help us to find those people that maybe are coming to mind, Lord. I pray that you would help us to be intentional about being around them. Intentional about living our lives before them as testimonies. Lord, may our home life be an absolute testimony to our children of the power of God to be honoring and, and loving as parents. Lord, we pray that our, our walk with you would be transparent and, and our children and, our, and those following us would see it. But Lord, I, we also pray that you would provide passionate people for us to lead passionately. Lord, I pray that this church would be filled with people discipling other people, maybe not with a program, but, Lord, with their life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live as believers all the time in front of others. And I pray, Lord, that you would send out workers, for the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would send out not just workers, but workers training other workers. Help us to be those kinds of people, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.